Today's scripture reading comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It's been uh, a pleasure to be with your church this weekend. Um, uh, I've been just wonderfully encouraged. I know these types of arrangements can be pretty awkward and pretty formal, but at least with the people I've met, they've just been just blessing me. And so I leave with that. I know my wife shares the sentiments, and uh, it's a pleasure. It's, it's a, um, a humbling privilege to bring you God's word today. We are looking at Philippians, and if you have your Bible open, it'll be helpful. <clears throat> I do, of course, want to, you can't, it can't be oversaid to the mothers out there, you are a blessing. Someone's got to be bad cop, so thank you. Uh, we men appreciate all the blame that you take from our children. Um, I know my wife feels uh, often that uh, sense of worthlessness because my kids never say thank you or show their appreciation. And uh, she got a text this morning from our youngest, but it was a picture of him in a Sixers t-shirt. No. Thank you, Mom. I love you, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. It was go Sixers. But uh, that's his language. That's his love language. So I guess you got to take what you can get. Uh, but in all seriousness, and uh, Fuj mentioned it, uh, this day can be challenging, I know, for, I don't know, maybe for some of you, maybe not, but certainly for some women who have lost children and for some women who desire children and that has not happened, or that has been a challenging situation, the Lord blesses you. And hopefully today's message, as we look at joy, peace, that surpasses all understanding, hopefully you will join me as we look at the truth of God's word and take it for what it is and find comfort in it. So if you're familiar with Philippians, it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul, and really simply, we don't have to get into all the details about the circumstances, but simply to remind ourselves or to let you know that he's writing from prison. And it's a difficult situation, one I can only imagine what it's like to be in prison, let alone what prison was like back then. And for someone like Paul, <clears throat> to be in prison would have brought great distraught to a lot of others in the church. If we understood who Paul was the way they did, and maybe we elevate him a lot higher than what they did, but regardless, he certainly was a very significant person in the church back then. And trying to imagine if your pastor Sam were removed from your congregation for whatever reason, whether it's imprisonment or detained for whatever, and you did not have access to him, and he was incapable of leading these ministries here, 
what stress would you be experiencing? What doubts, questions, concerns, confusion would be floating in this congregation? It'd be difficult, I would think. Uh, finding answers, wondering even, doubting perhaps of what God is actually doing. And one thing I can't do for you today is that as I speak, certainly you may have in mind and in heart some really difficult experiences that you've been through. Or you can imagine tough times that lie ahead. And I can't tell you exactly how God will manifest this joy that he's promising, this peace and comfort that surpasses all understanding, how they will manifest themselves. But if I am to believe this to be true, if God's word is true, then it's available. And not just available, but in abundance for you. And he is not far. And one of the challenges with receiving this type of passage or the promises that are offered so boldly and powerfully is it may not necessarily come in the way that I would like. That I may sincerely pray as this passage exhorts me to and ask for alleviation from pain and sorrow, for God to divert any temptation or struggle that awaits and he may not and I'm reminded of people like Job in the Bible where God doesn't necessarily even give him the answer that he's looking for he just reminds him and instructs him I'm God or there's Joseph in the early parts of the Old Testament in Genesis where Joseph has endured so much. In the end, he finds comfort simply knowing that what other people clearly have intended for evil, God meant for good. And it sounds so dissatisfying to think that way. It sounds so weak. But wonderfully, God, through his spirit, gives us comfort that the world can't. And the world will only gawk at. They'll look at you and be amazed. Where does that come from? Because everything that's promised here in these few verses is everything that everybody who walks this earth is looking for. The question is, have you found it? And if so, be reminded it's yours. If you haven't, I'm here to offer it to you. And you just have to take it. So Paul's in prison, and we'll go verse by verse, starting with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And initially what strikes me is that word always. Joy from God is available at every moment, regardless of the circumstance. I would invite you to think of the worst possible scenario even if it's hypothetical, God is saying, in those situations, you can be joyful. Okay, really? Is God's word true? 
Is God simply trying to be hyperbolic? Is he simply trying to pull some quick rhetoric by me? Or is he speaking the plain truth that I am the God of joy and I offer this, it is available and it is abundant. So for me, I'm a Bible teacher at a Christian school. I teach in middle school for seven years and this present year I've been teaching high school and it's exhausting. I love it, but it's exhausting. So I think about the hours I spend eight hours with students. And if your parents and even mothers have their limitations, maybe four hours with your kids, eight hours, and many of them. And they do everything that their parents don't want to know about. They talk in ways that they know, unless they really are outrageous, their parents will never hear about. So it's exhausting, and I come home, and often, even as the Bible teacher, which I won't show them, I think, God, there is no hope for these kids. <laughs> but I'll preach hope. There is no hope. And as much as I say that lightly, often my sinfulness utters it very seriously. And I have deceived myself to think that nothing can happen, nothing good can amount from these kids. There's no way they are going to know Jesus. Because not all of them do. They're supposed to be church. That's what they tell us when they apply for admission. But some of them say, oh, I, no, we don't go to church. <laughs> it's funny. The, the parents will lie in the process of admission, but the student will be like, no, I'm, I don't go to church. It's, I love it. And you go really cynical. You grow despondent and you're overwhelmed by the bleakness of the situation. And that's just one of them. As I was preparing for this, I'm rem I was reminded of my dad's situation, which is fairly fresh. My dad's 83. And there was some concern with his blood work. And so they said, we think your dad may have cancer. Or if anything, he may be in a pre-cancer stage. And so we were concerned. Now the good thing to speed up before I give the more of the story, he doesn't have cancer, praise God. But in those situations, is it really impossible to be joyful? I saw no sign of fear in my dad because he knows the Lord. But I was fearful. I was worried. I was worried, am I going to have to live with my mom? <laughs> that, is, that, is, that just can't happen. She doesn't want it. I don't want it. It's not good. And I thought, you know, how, just so many questions. What, you know, is he going to suffer? Just filled with all this fear. And this wonderfully reminded me be joyful. And his comfort came from his joy and his certainty of the confirmation of the gospel that he knows Christ, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and that the promise given to him by his heavenly Father that he shall be in paradise as a thief who hung next to Jesus. My dad said, I'm ready. But the Lord did say recently, not yet. Praise God. But Again, and I'm not trying to say it lightly. 
they can be overwhelming. But I'd like to at least plant a seed or water some seeds that are in your hearts and minds that the gospel offers joy. Jesus gives you joy. It says always, you look at even Paul's situation in chapter one. He is in prison and I would be concerned who is going to take care of these people. If I was a pastor of a congregation and these days I just am part-time staff in my church, but when I was full-time, who is going to take care of them? On the weeks I even went away just to guest preach, I was kind of nervous that things wouldn't fall apart. Who is going to take care of these? Who is going to preach and minister to my sheep? But Paul's not worried about these things. Paul even hears that there are other preachers in the area who are delivering sermons, preaching the gospel, and he also knows that their hearts are evil. He says in chapter one that these other preachers preach out of envy, selfish ambition, and rivalry. I mean, imagine, and most of you know why I'm here, if at the interview they ask, well, tell us, Pastor Joe, why do you want to come here? Because I'm envious of food. I want what Sam has. Okay, is there anything else? Yeah, I'm really ambitious, and I think I've got 10 more years to reach the pinnacle of my career. All right. Anything else? Yeah, I want to show you that I'm a better preacher than these guys. You'd be like, all right. Well, it's nice knowing you. (laughs) But Paul doesn't fret over that, which is astounding. He doesn't get worried over that. I know I have judged numerous hearts, preachers' hearts. I've judged multiple sermons. It's almost like a a bad, sinful, knee-jerk reaction when we listen to sermons. When you're a preacher, you sit in the pews, you can't help but to sometimes think, that's not how I would preach it, or I would have done it differently. He doesn't do that. He says, I rejoice. How? Because Christ is proclaimed. It's all about Jesus. It can be at my expense. It can even be something through which other people will use for their own sinful purposes. But you know what? That's between them and God. That as Jeremiah says, I'm not the one who searches the hearts and minds of men. God, all he is ultimately concerned about is that Christ will be proclaimed. And amazingly, God can use that situation of evil preachers with awful motives, sinful motives, to proclaim the purity of the good news. It's amazing. We would think, my pastor is awful. I know why he's up there. He just wants to be paid. Our church will never grow. That's usually how I would think. But here, Paul's like, no, the power's not in their intentions. The power's not in men. Joy is found in the proclamation of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, the Son of God who came down to live a life you and I should, to die to punishment we should, we should suffer, rise again, and return to heaven for us. And that we would receive that mercy. That's all that matters.
And amazingly, even in that simple proclamation of good news, there is immeasurable joy. Joy. I don't care who you are in this room. You want joy. Maybe you call it happiness. And often, and we who are believers, mature believers, whatever category you want to place yourself in, we want to be happy. And we all still even struggle with reaching for sources that the Bible says no, does not recommend. That person will bring me joy. My son going to the college, my youngest is a senior in high school, if he gets into this school, that will bring me joy. Actually, it would just allow me to be more boastful, which my sinful side will say is happiness. This promotion will bring me joy. It'll just allow you to be arrogant in the congregation to be thrilled at the materials that you can now afford and purchase. Nice weather brings me joy. It's been nice out here. It's nice. I see why West Coasters, when they leave, they always come back. East Coasters, they leave and they never return. Um, And I see why. And some people, again, will think that this is what makes me happy. It's God's creation, it's nice. But it's not the gospel. And even if you compare on the simplest superficial level, the difference is those others, they fade. They rust. And they can be taken from you. But the joy of the Lord is forever. And the great thing about what Paul is reminding us of is that that joy is always with us Sometimes we just simply forget and we need to be reminded. Sometimes we are short-sighted and all we look at are the circumstances. All others, as C.S. Lewis says, joy in worldly terms is something that you have to exercise and create yourselves. Whereas the joy that comes from the Lord is given. Not something we can concoct or manufacture. And it's yours. In Jesus. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Just simply Paul is saying, uh, be moderate in your temperament. And I was sharing with the first service. This was a stressful weekend. And there was a moment where I kind of lost myself. And... I'm so glad this is the passage that God had placed in my heart to preach. And there was a moment on, today is Sunday, right? I'm kind of losing track of time. A moment yesterday morning, I got up and walked around town and wanted to kind of rehearse my message. Wanted to spend some time in prayer and meditation. It was good that the streets were empty. And I literally started preaching to myself, literally as if I was at a pulpit. I know it sounds really strange, but I I like to do that sometimes, just preach as if I'm sitting right there. And when I got to this, it just reminded me how when I think that God is far, the gospel's light, for me, I have clouded it 
and distance myself from it. And this reminds me that the Lord is here. What do I have to fret? Why do I worry? And in a moment, we're going to talk about anxiety. Why do I stress? Sure, that is inevitable. We are fallen people, redeemed, certainly. We are on this side of eternity in heaven. We will fall. We will wander. Our hearts are prone to it. But here, Paul wonderfully wants to remind us that God is close. And as the psalmist says in 145, to those who call upon the Lord, he is near. And it's not saying that God is so far and he can quickly come. But when you call upon him, that's when you are reminded he is right there. Um, I don't know if Justin knows this, but I picked up cross-stitching in college. Um, one of those, I found it very therapeutic. Uh, people were astounded by it and they didn't know what to think of it. But I decided I was gonna cross to something for my then girlfriend who lived in Korea. And I chose footprints in the sand. I don't know if some of you are familiar with that. It's kind of poem-like story. And in it, there is someone who is walking along the beach and at one point experiences trouble. But when they look back during that period when it was so challenging, they see only one set of footprints. And they ask, God, where were you? Lord, where were you during my tough times? And Jesus' response is, it's during then I carried you. The Lord is close. And we often fret and we wander and we sin and we doubt and we fall into dismay because we think God is so far. And it's a challenge because we don't see him with our eyes. We can't touch him with our hands or taste him, smell him. But yet the senses of faith are so much stronger but in those moments, they become dull. And we need to be reminded of what Jesus even knew was going to happen as he prepared to bear that cross, as he prepared to enter the tomb, as he prepared to, even after 40 days, return back to heaven to be with the Heavenly Father. He knew what they, the disciples, and you and I would feel on a regular basis, what we'd be tempted to experience and believe to be the standard of a gospel life and experience, which is, God, you're far. And so Jesus in John chapter 14, he tells the disciples, don't worry, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send the helper. And the helper will be peace to you. Peace that the world doesn't know anything about. They won't understand it. They can't give it. And his final words to them before he leaves in Matthew 28 are what? I am with you to the very end of the age. I am with you. And that is why his name is Emmanuel. God with us. He is with us, as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, he is the one who gives his spirit, the very spirit, and we call it the spirit of God, which is true. But I've also learned that just as appropriate as to refer to him as the Holy Spirit of Christ, who dwells in our hearts. Why? So that he can bring in the remembrance, the things that Jesus teaches us. Because we're so prone to forget.
So prone to wander. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Maybe if you're a high school student, you're anxious about next year. Maybe if you're a junior, rising senior, worried about college, whatever it may be, worried about popularity. Will you make the team next year? If you're like me with kids, you worry about your children, worry about what your daughter's gonna do with her life. No, she's not that bad, but but we we think she needs a little nudge and push. What she's gonna do, how will my son fare in college as he transitions going to Penn State? How will he do? Will he stay faithful? Will my oldest get married? You know, we fret about the silliest things and some of them actually important. Anxious about so much and that won't end. There are opportunities for stress and anxiety right around the corner as you leave this door. That is certain on this side of eternity. But again, Paul offers from the very lips of Christ, don't be anxious That means there's the possibility and the offer and the promise of the gospel that I can actually live without anxiety. I was anxious about this weekend. I didn't think I was. And the reason why I didn't think I was is because I placed my hope in other things. I placed my hope in knowing Fuji. I placed my hope in Sam was my college pastor. I place my hope in thinking, I'm a half-decent preacher. I'm kind of funny. They'll like me. I place my hope in my wife. And the joke has always been, no one ever likes me, but they definitely like Sonny. She's going to hate me later. but um, We place our hope in so many other things, but they don't pan out. Maybe temporarily. And that's why we resort to them. That's why we reach for them. But God says in Christ, we can be anxious free. Again, not perfectly, but we can be free of anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything. How? Through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. When I learned to pray, actually taught in a seminar on how to pray in middle school, I stuck to that format, which was ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. And for me, I always think it's a good practice to keep those in mind in every prayer. And that doesn't mean every prayer you have to hit all four. But I think, you know, we tend to be people who are just S's, supplication, God, this is what I need, this is what I need, this is what I need, and it becomes a vending machine. Did I just date myself? Vending machine, yeah. Um, So Paul is saying, Go to God in prayer. And we don't have the time to really dive deep into it, but I don't want to anyway give you the impression it is just a throwaway. Prayer is so important. And when it is properly done, humbly, clearly, deliberately, it recognizes why it's being done and to who it is being lifted, to God our Heavenly Father, who regards us more highly than the lilies of the field, the birds of the air. 
why would he not take care of you? If he was willing to go to the extent of sending his own son to die for you, why would he not take care of you in your life? Why would he leave you to be trampled and beaten up by this world so to allow you to crawl into heaven? Does he not take care of us? Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And for me, this is the word I latch on to. I think it's the hinge for these verses that we're considering today. Thanksgiving. It's not the thanksgiving. What Paul doesn't have in mind is the thanksgiving that you and I typically have, which may look like this. Thank you for that gift. Thank you for coming. And once they're gone, honey, recycle this. Or don't invite them anymore. They're just kind words. Or thanks, uh, it's not really what I needed or really what I wanted, but I really appreciate the gesture. Or you ever know when, you ever see when you take your kids uh, and they want something so badly, they, but you have all that power and authority to grant it to them and their thanksgiving hinges on this idea that I am entitled to it. So once you scratch and meet that entitlement, then I'll be grateful. But it's none of these. Actually, what Paul has in mind is when we think biblically regarding who it is that gives us these great gifts, this Father of Lights who gives every, every good and perfect gift, we recognize that everything gives us is out of his grace out of his mercy, through his wisdom, according to his timing and manner. It's not determined by me. I may not necessarily even recognize the true depth of the value of the gift I'm receiving in the Lord, but I know and I trust that he has made a right decision and that this is the best I could possibly receive. And we, do, we doubt that sometimes, even when we look at Jesus. Jesus, how is believing the gospel going to help me right now because I'm unemployed and I need to pay these bills? God, that the only way that's going to work is if you get me that job and you give me a quick paycheck so I can pay these and not go into the red or dip into my savings. God, the only way that the gospel is really going to pan out is if I walk to the hospital today and hear from the doctor that my dad is healed. But God's like, you box me in. And we determine that I will thank you only if you meet these criteria. Rather than, as Paul recognizes, you are my heavenly father who is loving, generous, wise, immortal, merciful, compassionate, sovereign. You are my heavenly father. And I thank you. And when that mindset and that heart's posture goes into prayer, then we are willing to take, willing to accept everything that God gives. And is not God the one that Paul says in the epistle to the Romans that he does all things good for those who love him? All things good. Has he made a mistake by giving us certain things? Has he made a mistake by not giving us certain things? Has he missed 
time by giving us something late? Do we judge him according to our own terms? Then in that moment, what we have said in not so many words is God, I am God. And you will do my bidding. And that strikes at the very heart of what Adam and Eve did. The serpent said, you can be like God. And they wanted it. And every time we sin, that's what we want, to be God. God, this is how the gospel must look like. This is when the gospel must be active and powerful. And that's not thanksgiving. Because you're simply getting what you want. But if God is the immortal wise God, that the gifts that he does give and the time in which he does it is not only for our benefit, but is to his glory. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And closing with verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As I referenced earlier in John 14, it's a peace the world cannot offer. And who doesn't want peace? I shared in the first service, we live with my in-laws, which just that much to tell you it's a challenge. Hey, uh, I always tell my wife when she gets upset I say that, I don't want to live with my parents and they don't want to live with me, so it's not about blood. Uh, but in all seriousness, uh, my in-laws are not believers, and so it's been a challenge. There are many times of unrest, and we just pray, Lord, we just want a peaceful home. Maybe you think globally for peace. Who wants discomfort? Who wants broken relationships? We all want peace. We want everything to go smoothly. The world can offer their forms and their counterfeit varieties, which do something. The way I always look at it, why is sin so desirable? Because it's fun. It's pleasurable. It just doesn't deliver what you think it will or what it says it can offer. And all these things in the world, and you pick your poison, all these things in the world that promise peace to you, grades, worldly success, health, you fill in the blank. They will offer some peace, no doubt, but not the kind that surpasses all understanding. Because what blows my mind about God's peace is one, I cannot earn it, I cannot create it, I cannot just seize it, and when I get it, it is forever. And no one can take it from me. No one can take that peace that God gives me in Christ. It surpasses all understanding, and this will guard your hearts and your minds. And in closing, when you think of that word guard, uh, hopefully you're thinking the same thing that I am. You know something's coming. Scripture says Satan will pounce, looking for every opportunity. And though he may know that I am secure in the Father's hands and no one can snatch me out of those hands, oh, he will take his best shot. 
He loves to wreak havoc in my life, in my relationship with my wife, in my parenting to my kids, in the way I project myself and present myself in any possible scenario, be it to a stranger or to my students at school or to my congregants. He will take every possible opportunity to disrupt that. And so all the more I need to be reminded of all the things that the gospel has afforded me. God says, I haven't gone anywhere, but you think I'm so far. God says, I give you my peace in my Holy Spirit, but think, you think you have none of it. It's yours and yours in abundance and yours forever. Paul says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians that all of his promises, this heavenly father who has given you an abundance of promises, countless, he says they are all yes and amen only in Christ. And I hope that comforts you today. And if you find yourself in unrestful circumstances, find comfort in the Lord who gives you peace. And that peace is already yours. It's already in you. You just kind of like maybe shove it to the side. That God gives you every opportunity for joy and thanksgiving and peace in the Lord today. Tomorrow, and forevermore. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what Christ has afforded us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, um, that you are faithful, though we are faithless. God, though we may often forget and wander in our hearts and our ways, you are ever with us. We thank you that you are not far. You are at hand. We thank you for all these promises, and we thank you that they are certain. God, if we are struggling today and we lack joy, we lack peace, but we know we are yours. Holy Spirit, would you show compassion to remind us of how good you are, of the benefits of the gospel, of knowing that we are children of God and that our Heavenly Father cares for us each and every day, incessantly. We thank you for your faithfulness and we praise you for it. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.